Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Driving Theology. G -G -G -G. This is Mike, and uh, thanks for joining me today. It's a rainy October morning. It's like a John Denver song. Rainy October morning on the country road. Uh, yeah, sorry, I think about John Denver. <laughs> I came across something this morning uh, about John Denver, and I've always liked John Denver to a certain extent. I mean, like, it would be hard to over-exaggerate how much a part the song Country Roads was of my childhood. Not mostly because of John Denver, but because uh, <clears throat> a lot of the family members uh, that played music played that song. It was very popular in Tennessee. Well, really, all over the world, it's probably one of the most recognizable songs uh, anywhere. <laughs> Country Roads. Um, but yeah, I, you know, he died... I was reminded of all this in 1997 in a uh, single passenger plane crash. But you know the way the way his songs were so upbeat and optimistic and and lively and and he was such a vibrant person. There's a lot um, <clears throat> behind the scenes that we didn't know about John Denver, uh, or maybe some people did. You know, I didn't. Uh, being a kid in the 70s, of course, he's he's a, just a bit older. He would have been a bit older than my dad, so he would have been 80, 82, maybe by now. 80, 81, 82, something like that. <clears throat> but what I didn't know about John Denver is that, you know, he he uh, grew up with a uh, in a home with, what he said... Uh, with a father who was unable to show love. And his father was a, a military man, and so he uh, moved the family from base to base. Uh, I didn't know that John Denver was born in New Mexico, in Roswell, New Mexico, uh, which is uh, where his father was a, I think, a test pilot for the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, for the Air Force. His father was, sounds like a lifetime Air Force man. I think he finally retired a lieutenant colonel, which is pretty darn high. Was a pilot. John Denver was interested in flight his whole life. He had a pilot's license. He owned a Learjet for a while and several airplanes. Um, anyway, he moved from town to town and, and became interested in music. Tried to drop out of high school a couple times. Ended up actually finishing high school, but went to college, studied architecture, but then kind of dropped out before he was finished to go pursue his career in music and of course uh, by by most measures of success that was a brilliant move because he ended up writing a song that got picked up by somebody else who made it famous and that group was Peter, Paul and Mary and the song was about a plane interestingly enough I'm just putting this together I'm leaving on a jet plane, don't know when I'll be back again. That's the only line I remember of that song. That was John Denver's song, and Peter, Paul, and Mary, who were famous at the time, 
picked it up and made it famous and so that song became kind of his calling card into greater success uh, to where eventually he my guess is out out sold uh, and became even more famous than Peter Paul and Mary of course he was after them a bit um, <clears throat> at least chronologically speaking uh, and eventually he became a solo act after messing around in a couple, uh, well, I say messing around, um, being in a couple other small groups and ensembles and things like this. He eventually, after changing his name, now his name was, I'm going to mess this up, Deutschen, Deutsche, I can't even remember. Something like Deutschendorf or something like this. Really long German word. And he changed it to Denver because uh, nobody wanted to write his name on the, on the sign. It was just too long and too difficult to spell. <laughs> which, is, which is really sad. Um, but he changed his name to Denver because of all the places he had been. Colorado was his favorite state. Denver started with D, which his last name started with D as well. And so that's what he went for, uh, John Denver. And, you know, that <clears throat> that became his home state. They kind of adopted him. He adopted them. Uh, he loved Colorado and uh, lived in Aspen, sounds like, most of his life. Had a home in Aspen, Colorado. Uh why am I going through... I, I don't know why I'm regurgitating all this about John Denver that I read today in an article, but <clears throat> what I wanted to get at is that John Denver was a very much a public figure. He's one of those figures that transcends normal identity, right? Uh, he, he represents everything uh, American, right? All of the good parts of America, more or less, right? When you when you think of John Denver, it's not that there wasn't some controversy uh, with John Denver, uh, particularly with his song "Rocky Mountain High," uh, which he denies had anything to do with drugs, uh, but he was accused of that nonetheless. Anyway, he became this face uh, of kind of America. Right, Americana, if you will, uh, and I, by America I mean the USA, not all of America, obviously. <clears throat> uh, yeah, so um, behind the scenes, however, there was a much different story. Uh, like I said, John Denver grew up in a in a a family where he felt like. Uh, his father never really showed love to him, and I think that was a problem for him. That maybe drove him to be a little bit rebellious at times as a as a teenager. He obviously had a look, maybe that was um, not. Uh, I, I don't even know how it, he had a bit of a an, an effeminate look the best way I can say that, although I never thought of him that way, I suppose. I don't even know how I thought of him because I was so young. Um, that, that, but that, that's neither here nor there. 
he definitely had a look, and that was the, the you know the, the moppy hair, the long blonde hair, and the and the what they called granny glasses, right? These um, round uh, steel rim glasses. That was his look, right? Uh, but actually, he was he was an introvert. Uh, he was very very much introverted. <clears throat> Even though he didn't seem like that when he was performing, uh, he, he was an introvert, apparently. Uh, and uh, and I, I suppose this is part of having uh, come up in the music industry in the 60s and the 70s. He was addicted to many uh, substances. Uh, apparently, um, cocaine... Marijuana, although I think it's debatable whether marijuana is addictive in that way. Um, and I can't remember, there's something else, and I think it was LSD, right? I believe he took uh, LSD as well. Uh, but, you know, having come up in the 60s and the 70s and trying to make it in the music industry, uh, you know, and all the all the schmoozing and the getting people to like you, I could see why where a lot of people probably um, had to face that at some point, right? Um, they didn't understand, or at least it wasn't common knowledge, just how addictive these things were and how destructive they could be in your life. Uh, but John, John Denver dealt with uh, addiction to drugs as well as alcohol, I believe. I know he had some DUIs, and, and he eventually lost his pilot's license because of the DUIs. Uh, apparently, to be a pilot, uh, you are not supposed to um, be, I don't know, under the influence, the wrong word. But anyway, you're, you're basically supposed to do away with alcohol in your life, right? That's, that's considered um, important to being a pilot, and obviously... That makes a lot of sense. I don't think anybody would debate alcohol and flying a plane <laughs> is a good idea. Uh, mixing those two is a good idea. But anywho, um, so you know, on the on the on the face of things, John Denver was everything good about America, but down deep, uh, he was he was exactly the opposite. Right? He was what's wrong with America. Um, lack of love, uh, a lack of restraint, um, the becoming enslaved to addictive substances, you know, and maybe some of this is because of his, you know, being an introvert that kind of drove him toward these different kinds of drugs that, that could take off a lot of the pressures uh, that perhaps he felt. <clears throat> when having to deal with people so much. And, and, you know, he had a very public life being a, a, a uh, you know, gold and platinum uh, record-selling artist. Um, I want to, you know, explore this possibility that all of us have this other side to us. Um, that all of us have another side of things uh, 
a, a, a part of us that is not visible uh, for the most part to the rest of the world. Um, I mean, another thing, John Denver, you know, he, he went through a couple marriages and apparently some infidelity was involved on his part as well. I think that's what I read too. Now, if I'm wrong about this, I apologize. Um, I just read this article kind of quickly and I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say that what I'm saying here is completely true. So there's a disclaimer. Uh, I probably should do some more research on John Denver's life, but his life is not really the, the purpose of this episode. I'm just using it as a jumping board. <clears throat> I find now that I'm using it as a jumping board. I didn't really plan this, uh, which is what's so fun and awesome about driving theology. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe. Anyway, his song Country Road, which which is interesting. I was at a barbecue last week um, at my friend Cam's house. Cam was, I talked about him last week. Uh, Cam recently lost his grandfather. Uh, anyway, he, he had some people over and uh, we went and made, made a, a little appearance there, my wife and I, and I brought my guitar because he had somebody there who was uh, also a guitarist and he invited me to come and play with him. So we ended up playing and the first song we play is Country Roads and of course he's Japanese but he knows Country Roads. Everybody knows Country Roads. It's just it's just one of the greatest songs ever written. I don't know what it is about it but it appeals to a, right, a wide variety of people. Um, I don't know if it's the chord structure. There is some really interesting chordal things that happen uh, from the verse especially to the bridge uh, musically that I like the words uh, are <clears throat> you know somewhat haunting the first verse talks about West Virginia it's just it's just images Blue Ridge Mountain Shenandoah River life is old they're older than the trees but younger than the mountains blowing blowing like a breeze, or blowing in the breeze, blowing like a breeze. Um, and it's a song about nostalgia, right? Going back home, returning home. And I've talked about this, you know, nostalgia um, before, that there seems to be nostalgia built into us as human beings. There seems to be this longing for something that we can't quite grasp, and usually... We define it as going back to our childhood in some happy time in our childhood, but I, I think there's actually something more to that. I think there's probably uh, a place farther back than our childhood <laughs> um, that we are hearkening back to uh, a, you know, back to where we were always meant to be, but where we've never been, but somehow we know we belong. It's an interesting kind of thing, right? It's not really... Maybe I'll get into that in a minute. I, I wanted to talk about the other side of us, right? That there, there's another side of all of us. One of the things that we like to do is basically deify people. Uh, and especially uh, the, the famous people, right? Famous people in, in the entertainment industry, maybe more than any. Uh, and sometimes politicians... Uh, oftentimes preachers, right? Preachers who become stars or uh, uh, 
very, very famous preachers we, we often deify as well. And what I mean by deify is that we see all of their we see all of their best qualities when they're on their best behavior. Uh, and, and, and there's something else that fame does to us in our brain that puts those kinds of people on a certain kind of a pedestal, right? And many of them never asked to be put there, but, but this is what happens, right, when people become famous. And we, we put these people on a pedestal in a special place in our mind, and that mind is, a, is a, a, an ideal, right? It, we, we assign to them ideal qualities and make them ideal people. In other words, they have all the best qualities that we really wish we had, but we don't. Uh, and and we fail to look for or see or acknowledge any negative qualities in these people. Now, children do this uh, with their parents, right? Children do their do this with their parents. And there's a movie that came out some time ago in the '90s uh, called The Crow with Brandon Lee, Bruce Lee's son, uh, and he died while the you know during the making of this movie, famously. Anyway, there's a line in that movie where <clears throat> the crow is the crow's the character that Brandon Lee plays sort of a sort of an anti-superhero he's a superhero but very much conflicted and, and compromised I don't it's hard to explain sort of like a, a Batman Batman on his worst day anyway he, there's a line in this movie that's always stuck with me. And he says to the woman who is not being a good mother, I believe she's a drug addict. He says that children, a child's word for God is mother. Now he probably gets this from somewhere, the writer of this movie. I've never researched it. But basically says that, you know, children worship their mother. They think she's perfect. They, they, they think that she's God, right? And so what he's trying to get this mother, I think, to do is to, to really embrace the responsibility, the awesome responsibility that she has of raising her child well and to take a look at herself and try to resemble at least a little bit what the child sees in her. Um, it's an interesting line, uh, and and what it does is it identifies this this oh there's a word for this oh God making. Uh, let me see if I can see. <sighs> I can't remember. Oh, our shirt manufacturing Theo. Uh, anyway, it's it's a, a word that's found, I believe, in the in the U.S. Capitol. It talks about how George Washington was made into the God of America. Uh, it's actually there in words. It's kind of crazy. Uh, making ah, it's going to come to me at some point. Anyway, it has to do with the word. Uh, Theo, it's got the, the, the suffix, prefix, sorry, prefix Theo. Theo something something. Anyway, 
so we make people gods who we admire or love uh, or revere and usually it's people that that are a little bit separate from us and I think a mother to a child uh, is separated by a generation and that's enough to where perhaps we don't we don't see um, or or even if we see we don't understand what we're seeing uh, if, if we see our mothers or our fathers um, weaknesses and faults usually children uh, often don't see their parents faults uh, I didn't see my parents faults uh, and really I, I, I worshipped my parents until in my 20s really um, and and then they they, they they well famously in my life fell from grace and uh, it devastated me for a time uh, and so this this um, <clears throat> this pattern or this proclivity that we have of deifying people I, I think it's fairly natural that it happens but uh, I don't think it's it's necessarily healthy or helpful uh, because people have an identity crisis when their gods fall from grace right we have an we, we've, we don't know who we are when suddenly our gods are exposed as human. Uh, and this happens quite often, right? Whether it's a famous actor who's caught uh, doing something illegal or, or just unkind, uh, or a musician or an author or, you know, what, what have you, and especially pastors. And I think uh, pastors are probably, out of all of these, uh, the ones who are most involved in their own uh, deification, right? That the the system that they adhere to, uh, and and the system that they um, support and promote, right? The system of institutionalized religion seems to me to be set up as a perfect way to deify men. Whether it's the Pope. Uh, whether it's priests, whether it's uh, writers, or pastors, or preachers, or youth ministers, or whatever, uh, the system is such that we see these men only in their performing roles and have very little contact with them in, real, in their real life, right? In their life away from the church, quote-unquote, services. Which is a very, which is a big disservice, really. Uh, and preachers work hard, clergy work hard to to hide their true selves, um, because it's just not good for business. Uh, and that's the way the system is set up. That's not the fault of the clergy in this instance, um, but they do they do continue to operate in this system, even though they know they have to hide their true selves in order to stay in that position sometimes. And, and that, that is a huge, hugely ironic thing because it shows that, that the church whose message should contain, if nothing else, unconditional forgiveness they believe that that forgiveness does not exist in that system. Therefore, they 
cloak their true selves. They hide their true selves. Now, I'm going to say that everybody does this to, on some level. Okay, I'm going to say that everybody does this on some level, right? Everybody uh, has a, a um, instinct to, to hide their weaknesses in order to continue uh, in whatever it is uh, they need to do to feed their families uh, or survive, right? And, and that's perceived, right? What, however they perceive, whatever they perceive they have to do. Because actually, with a little courage, there's a lot more out there that people could do. Um, there's a lot more, there are a lot more things out there that people could do uh, to, in order to, um, in order to survive, right? And that has to do with faith and all kinds of things. Uh, but we do know that today, clergy are turning away more and more from the ministry. Uh, and I think it's largely because, <laughs> it could be because of social media and the electronic ways we have of exposing people's true selves that has made uh, clergy, uh, made their position very, um, a very dangerous predicament upon their high precipice, right? Um, and the higher they are, the, the harder they fall, right? Um, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. So, and it may not just be social media, it could be all kinds of things. It could be uh, actually the Holy Spirit, you know, revealing in people that we need to stop deifying people, that no matter how good somebody seems, they are still in need, uh, in need of community, in need of salvation, in need of forgiveness. And, and really, we all need to understand that, that our clergy are just people, right? They're just human. They're no better uh, and no worse than anybody else in the church, really. And, and that's from Christ's standpoint, because from Christ's standpoint, he has forgive, forgiven everything for all time, right? That's, that's the, the beautiful thing that the cross is, that, you know, whether you're... i got to be careful how I say this. Uh, whether you're Hitler or Mother Teresa doesn't change the love that Christ has for you. That doesn't mean that that person has love inside of them, right? Both these people I talked about are dead, of course, so uh, it's kind of a, you know, it's a weird point, but I, I just don't believe that your actions can change the love that God has for you. You can deny his love. You can reject his love. Uh, you can you can continue to try to rely on your own understanding. Uh, and you can, no matter how misguided they are, you can continue to, to take pride in your actions. Believe yourself to be justified in what you've done and what you do. Right? Uh, you can continue to deny that you need any forgiveness. Um, that there's anything you need to be forgiven for. 
yes, you can reject the love of Christ, but that doesn't change the love that Christ has for you, right? It just means that you've chosen not to allow it to transform you. Um, uh, yeah, so, you know, back to John Dooner, I, I wouldn't ever say that he was a hero of mine, even though I love that song, uh, and a few of his songs. I never really got into him. I, you know, he was a little before me, really, as far as music goes. By the time I was embracing music, he was kind of already old hat, in a sense. Um, but I appreciate him today. And and after reading his, his uh, a little bit of biographical information about him. And he has an autobiography. I may actually pick that up. It might be interesting to me. Uh... I kind of appreciate him more because, you know, of all the, the things that he dealt with, all of his own weaknesses and struggles, uh, and, uh, you know, all, all of the things that he had to deal with, he still continued to write great music and to lift people's spirits uh, and to entertain people uh, and to try with, with everything that he had uh, to transcend his weaknesses. Now, did that add to the surprise that people felt when they found out he had weaknesses? Maybe. Maybe. But I think if we all started with the assumption that everybody has these human weaknesses uh, and don't place people up on a pedestal because, because we think they are perfect or should be perfect, uh, but instead place them up on a pedestal because they're human beings made in the image of Christ and that Christ loves them, completely and without reservation uh, and so can we then we would place all people all men everywhere all women sorry all humans men women children everywhere we would place on a place on a pedestal and the person we would not place on a pedestal would be ourselves uh, because we don't have to Christ has already placed us on a pedestal and that that's kind of the that's kind of the the ironic kingdom that we live in that the highest position in the kingdom of God is not occupied by God it's occupied by everybody but God God put himself in the lowest position it's a reverse kingdom right it's a reverse kingdom uh, we don't understand that enough we don't embrace that enough um, and it's not, God's not on, on the bottom of the kingdom because of any weaknesses he has. Uh, but because he chose to be weak. So that he could show us how much he loved us. And loves us. And continues to love us. I would love to meet John Denver. Someday, and I think I will. I think I'll seek him out uh, in the forever life that's to come. Uh, and, uh, <clears throat> yeah, just tell him how much I appreciated the songs he wrote. And, uh, and, uh, you know, John, John Denver was always, uh, interested in flight and transcending this earth because he was involved in the space pro space program, which is probably, uh, do in no small part because he was born in Roswell, New Mexico, where some of this stuff was pioneered and started. Uh, his father being a, a uh, 
a pilot of jet engines and possibly rockets, I don't know. But he was involved with NASA, right? He, he volunteered with NASA. He, he tried to uh, get on flights. You know, he, he, he was one of the guys that really pushed for uh, normal people to be able to go to space. He wanted to go to space. That was one of his uh, dreams, and he never achieved that, but he did get to fly. He did get to fly, and, and, and you know, the, the idea of transcending the, the weaknesses of this earth, the, the earth, the, you know, to go to space, to look forward, to look outwards, right? This is, this is part and parcel, I think, with being human in the best way, right? Looking, looking beyond ourselves, uh, and you can take that personally, uh, and, and, you know, metaphorically and physically as well you know uh, now eventually flight is what took his life uh, and actually he was flying illegally he, his his license had been revoked because uh, he could not uh, deal with his alcohol problem um, but he he flew nonetheless right he he just didn't want to lose that part of his life he needed to transcend and I suppose you know being an introvert being able to fly alone right uh, maybe one of the greatest joys that, that an introvert can have the freedom of it right the trend the, the actual transcendence of it uh, and maybe he died the way he wanted to die he was too young he probably still had a lot to offer, and he left uh, two children that he had, he had adopted. Uh, and you know, I'm not sure how they turned out. It'd be nice to find out. Uh, but he seems to have loved them very much, uh, and uh, yeah, he uh, he had to soar. He had to he had to go. He had to fly. He had to rise above. Um, oh, I don't prescribe this for everybody. <laughs> don't, don't, don't think that you know breaking the law to do what you think you were made to do uh, is the way to go. Because all people, all kinds of people, think that they were made to do something that uh, is completely bad. Um, you know. Uh, what is the song uh, is it by Steppenwolf, Born to be Wild? Is that Steppenwolf? I think it is. Born to be wild, right? Born to raise hell. Uh, bad to the bone. There's this song called Bad to the Bone. Da -da -na -na -na. Well, the day it was born. Yeah, anyway. Uh, no, you're not, you're not born to be bad. You're not bad to the bone. You're not... Uh, born to be wild, you're not born to uh, break the law, uh, no matter what you think. Um, you're born to reflect uh, the love of Christ uh, and, and to absorb the love of Christ, right? Uh, and that makes you inherently good. You know, there was a time that I thought people were inherently bad. I, I kind of prescribed to that, that 
that we were born bad uh, because of uh, Adam. And, you know, yeah, of course, there, there are things that Paul talks about, you know, this direction that, you know, all men sinned uh, because we were in Adam, right? So we come out of sin. And in, in a... <clears throat> In a sense, I, I understand that, but no, I have to believe that people are good. I believe that that everybody has good in them. That they were they were fearfully and wonderfully made, as been has been said, right? I don't know about the fearfully part. Um, I guess I'd rather say carefully and wonderfully made. Anyway, um, I think. I think in a sense, we need to come to terms with our deifying ways as people. Uh, we need to realize that, hey, I'm deifying this person, whether it's my spouse or uh, my parents uh, or some famous person that I've never met. Uh, and we, we need to realize that that person also has struggles, that they have pains, they have sorrows, uh, they have sometimes addictions. Uh, they have uh, things they need to do better in their life. Everybody does. Um, that doesn't mean we shouldn't hold them high on a pedestal. Right? I think we can hold everybody high on a pedestal and still acknowledge their weaknesses and their faults. Need I say sins? Right? Uh, yeah, and I think that's, you know, what I think Paul says, hold everybody in, in higher esteem than yourself, right? Think better of people than yourself. Consider people's needs over your own, right? This is, this is, this is how we love people the way that Christ loved us, right? We consider their needs greater to be greater than our own, right? Uh, this is the golden rule. Um, I'm not sure that this talk kind of went in the... I didn't know what direction it was going to take, as I never do. Um, but man, I enjoyed doing it for you today. And uh, yeah, I... Um, I'm trying to park my car here. Yeah, uh... Maybe take a minute, if you have time, and, and make a list of the people that you have, have deified uh, and and find a way to, to, to come to terms with the fact that they're not God. They're not perfect in any way. Uh, they have struggles and, and problems just as you do. Uh, and, and that if they are to be deified, they should be deified in the way that God, in a way, has made us all divine. You know, the Bible says you are all gods. Uh, in, in some sense, uh, God is deifying, I think, the world, right? I think the world is coming, becoming more and more like, like God. And in that way, we are on some level being deified. Um, that doesn't mean that we are God, right? That we are Christ or uh, in any, you know, concrete way. Although, you know, we have the, we are the body of Christ. We have that metaphor. We are the temple of God. We, you know, so I don't know. The deification of people is interesting, but I, I don't think it has to 
contain some level of being perfect. Uh, I think we can we can deify people in a sense that in, in a way that also embraces their weaknesses and faults, um, without pointing them out. You know, not I'm not saying to accuse. Uh, I'm saying to, you know, be ready when these people and their underbelly is exposed uh, to say, yeah, of course, you know, I, I knew there was something uh, that would come out because they're human. So we're only human, born to make mistakes. I forgot who wrote that song. Anyway, I got to get to work. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye.